0: Ecclesia is a new church trying to live out the way of Jesus in Princeton, New Jersey. We pray this teaching invites you to love Jesus and people more deeply and to embrace the full life that Jesus offers each one of us. Grace and peace to you. This reading is from the Gospel of Luke, the first chapter, verses 26 through 55. In the sixth month... You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, "How can this be, since I am a virgin?" The Lord said to her, the angel said to her, Here am I, the servant of the Lord, let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him, from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm, he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts.
1: Well, I thought, you know, this is called Mary's Song, that was so beautifully just read for us. And it's so easy for us when we hear words read, to just kind of be like, yeah, 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 next thing, next thing. Advent is a season of waiting, of anticipation, of preparation. But the astounding thing about the Advent season is that when God begins to move, as the story of redemption and beauty slowly unwinds, we see that maybe we didn't quite know what we were waiting for. And during the first advent and Christmas seasons, God unveils, as Mary says, that he is, he is fulfilling promises, ancient promises, promises that were given to her ancestors long ago. And what God does is he writes a new chapter in this story that was begun way back with people like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He fulfills the promises. He meets the people in their expectations and their hope. But the way that he does it, the way that he does it and what it means for the world is so far beyond anything that they could have imagined. And so as we begin this new series, here's my hope for this teaching series and also this Advent season for you. How many of you, you've heard that Luke 1 story so many times? Like for you, you've been in church for for a long time. And every year you hear this stuff about the shepherd and the angels and all that kind of stuff. And for you, it's just kind of like, all right, cool. And for, for so many of us, it just becomes like, okay, yeah, Christmas story, great. Like there's this like incredible, magical, wondrous thing happening. Like God himself becomes a baby. And we're just like, yeah, that's you know, I heard that one last year. <laughs> and so my hope for you is that you begin to hear it anew. Now, I don't know if you've ever had this experience uh, with a song. You know, maybe you're in a coffee shop, or you're, you're playing uh, somewhere outside, and you hear a song come on, and it's just like, what is happening right now? I love this song. Like, immediately, I'm into it. You know, we have the most incredible tools at our disposal pull up Shazam, I'm going to keep kicking this, so I'm going to move it. You can pull up Shazam and just be like, what song is this? And it tells you, and then it adds it to a playlist. So I was just feeling it. And then I get in my car, you know, this was actually kind of a nice day, roll the windows down. I'm just like, yes, I am very mediocrely not cool. Uh, But for me, like if I listen to that song, and I don't know if you've had this experience, like. Where you you hear a song at first and it's awesome, and you're like, this song rules. And then you hear it about ten more times and you're like, this song is terrible, what was I thinking? Now, I don't think I'd go that far with that song, but what I'm fairly certain of is I'm not going to play that song at my funeral. I mean, it's not really my vibe, right? You might. But for me, there's those songs that hit us immediately and you're feeling them instantly, like this is pop music, right? Like, pop music is sort of designed mathematically to do this. Like, it grabs you. It's called the hook for a reason. And as we hear Mary's song this morning, part of my hope is that it just hooks you. Like you're like, wow, that's what God came to do? That's pretty awesome. Now, there's another level of song. A song that no matter how many times you go back to it, you're just like, That. Like, even though, like for me, I can distinguish the different instruments in the mix, like I know what's coming next, like I know if the vocalist is going to vary the melody and do something different, and it's just like, even though I know it's coming, so good. So for me this morning, and you know, whatever song or album it is for you, my hope is that during this series, you both hear this story anew, that it hits you like a song you are listening to in a coffee shop, you're like, what is that, that is so good. But it's also something that deeply resonates with your life, with with what God is doing in this time and space, in in the world and in your life. And so this morning we begin with track one of a series we're calling Advent EP. And an EP is just, you know, another nice name for an album. As Mary, the mother of Jesus, responds to the incredible news that she receives from the angel Gabriel. So as Alex read for us, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and he said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. Now the story, as we read, begins in the kind of place that you would expect the action to take place. So for for us, most movies are set in a place that we're somewhat familiar with, that are about this world at least. You can go to New York City, or you go to LA or Chicago. People are telling stories about places that are familiar. And when the angel appears to Zechariah, he is a priest serving in the temple in Jerusalem. Which is really the center of life for the Jewish people. And the angel tells Zechariah that in spite of his old age, he will bear a son who will help prepare the people for the Lord, for the Lord to come to them. But following this announcement, and this is where we pick up our story today, but following this announcement, the action moves to a far flung place, a no name town. Joanna, can you put up that map for us? So we start here, right in the center of things. And then it says that we go to a town called Nazareth. Now, if you, if you reference a place like New York City or Chicago, you don't have to say what state it's in, right? I'm, I'm talking about New York, New York. He's like, yeah, we got it, <laughs> right? But if you're talking about a place like Nazareth, or if you're talking about a place like kind of where I'm from, Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. What a name, right? And so Luke begins to tell the story. And he said, the angel goes to a town in, uh, called Nazareth. And he appears to a virgin named Mary. And he says, the story, as the story begins to unfold, the angel tells uh, Mary that she's going to bear a child. And that she is, she's engaged to a man named Joseph. Now, engagements in those days were not quite the love stories that they are in our own. Often, engagements were arranged by the parents. And girls were married at an incredibly young age, often just as they hit puberty. And the man's family would invest a bridal price and the engagement would often last somewhere between six months to a year. What Luke is telling us is that as this woman hears that she is going to bear a son, and she's at this point unmarried, though she's engaged, Mary ranks ranks very low on the social scale of this time. She's a woman in a patriarchal society. She is unmarried at this point, and now she's pregnant, and she's likely poor. And, And overall, her story is part of being a part of an oppressed people. And when the angel Gabriel meets Mary... He says something profound. He says to her, Greetings favored one. Gabriel's greeting to Mary is a deferential one, almost from an inferior to a superior. So you have an angel appearing to you who, like, knows the mysteries of the world and says to you, Greetings favor one, and addresses you in a way that honors you as the superior. Gabriel pronounces, The favor of God on the one who will carry the hope of the new humanity in her womb. And Gabriel tells Mary that God is with her, that she has been chosen, that she is favored. Friends, this is the first word that heaven has to say to earth. This is God's word to us as we will begin to see today that we are a part of this new humanity that Mary is the forerunner of. Greetings. Hello. I like you I'm not sitting in heaven far off heaven has spoken to earth heaven is coming near greetings to you and the angel says to her as we go on in Luke 1 do not be afraid Mary for you have found favor with God and now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you will name him Jesus And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? Now, I don't think Mary is being, you know, oftentimes in the Bible, when there's this kind of incredible hope announced, people have questions. Like Abraham, when he hears that he's going to have a son, he's like 100 years old, he raises his hand. And he's like, "Uh, God, I don't know if you know how this works. And Mary asks a similar question. How can this be since I am a virgin? Again, Mary has some sense of how babies are made. And she's wondering if God does. And the angel says to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Let it be with me according to your word. And then the angel departed from her. So Mary is, she's soaking in this incredible truth. The angel is announcing all this incredible stuff to her. Like not only that God is beginning to work and to move and fulfill his promises to Israel, but that she... This lowly virgin from a no-name town, this peasant woman who's not married, who, who seems in every uh, stance of, of our society at the time to, to be somebody of low status, that God is going to involve her in the plan. And what she says is simply, here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. And then it says Mary goes to be with her relative Elizabeth. Can you throw up that map again one more time? So Mary travels from her home in Nazareth all the way down to the hill country of Jerusalem. This is something like 80 to 100 miles when it's all said and done. And as she encounters Elizabeth, again, this is a society where young people honored people older than them. And so Mary is going to stay with a woman who in every way is her superior. And again, Elizabeth offers this this greeting that says, Mary, you are the the higher status one in this story that's unfolding. And all of this just serves to further confirm the words of the angel that were spoken to Mary. And today, as we kind of jump into this text, we want to focus on Mary's response. As she contemplates all that is happening to her, all that God is doing. And I just can't stress enough, it is astounding that this young woman was maybe 12 or 13 years old. Like, we're going to see the words as she, uh, as she reflects on what God is doing as the Holy Spirit comes upon her. As God begins to unfold his plan of redemption. And Mary narrates this beautiful story through her song. So the song begins, and Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for He has looked with favor on the lowliness of His servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is His name. Mary returns the favor of God, as heaven says to Mary, greetings favored one. Mary returns the favor of God. With the only thing that will do, she responds with praise. You know, when we can't say it, we sing it. When it fills our soul to the point that it overflows, we respond back. And this is what Mary is doing here. She's taking all this in. She's like, I cannot believe this is happening. I can't believe that God, the, the maker of heaven and earth, the one who promised to Abraham that I will bless all nations through you, is working through my life, that he knows my name, that he's come near to me. And Mary responds, she says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. And when we first meet her, she says simply, and you know, the way that you don't really know what you're saying, like I, I have the honor often of performing weddings And, you know, it's so funny because we make these promises that we have no idea what we're actually promising. Like for better or worse, you have no idea what that will mean. And so often the promise is the thing that carries us through. We make promises that we don't know. But Mary says in this moment, as the angel speaks to her, may it be to me according to your word. Now see, the proper conclusion of saying yes to God, as she said, I will yield my life to you, is this explosion of joy. My soul magnifies the Lord. We've already established how Mary is not a privileged person in any way in this society. And really, where we find Mary as she composes this song in Luke 1 is at her most vulnerable. You see, Mary was an unwed virgin who is now pregnant. And this would raise a lot of questions for her betrothed husband. Right? I mean, can you just imagine this interaction? Mary comes to Joseph. She says, hey, I'm pregnant. But I promise you, I didn't do anything that would make me pregnant. Like throughout the history of the world, there's only been one way to get pregnant, right? So you've got to stay with the absurdity of this. What's more, Luke does not tell us of the angel appearing to Joseph as Matthew does. So, throughout the Bible, we have these different accounts of Jesus' life, these biographies of Jesus' life, if you will. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they each tell the story in their own way. One of the things that Luke is doing is he's making sure that we see that the kingdom of God, and Jesus coming to earth, his actions in the world elevate the status of women. In this patriarchal society, Luke is saying, That that God is unfolding his plan, and he's doing it through the people that were supposed to be weaker in the culture. And Luke does not tell us of the angel appearing to Joseph as well. You know, Courtney and I have often seen this in our lives together, is that when God is asking us to make a big move or to take a step of faith, he'll usually confirm it to both of us. Like we both have this sense of what God might be doing through our lives and in our family. And Luke is, is... Eerily silent on this point. He doesn't say also the angel appeared to Joseph. So Joseph knows it's cool He's silent on that Luke simply invites us to this place that Mary is in This uncertain trust that Mary is experiencing but in the midst of this vulnerability in the midst of this uncertainty Mary responds with trust. Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Mary, in yielding herself and participating in the story of redemption, in saying, let it be to me according to your word, doesn't find misery. She doesn't find this anguish or this sense of loss. What she finds is the fullness of joy. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Friends, when we find ourselves in the plan and purposes of God, when we say yes to His life that He has for us, we don't find that we're missing out on the good stuff. What we find is that that is the most beautiful and joyous place to be. Heaven's first word to Mary is greetings. You are favored. Heaven loves you. God knows you. He made you. And Mary's response is simply, yes. I don't know everything this means, and friends, we never will, but my response to you in this moment is, I will trust you. So first and foremost, Mary's song is a song of trust. You see, for Mary to say yes It didn't just involve her soul or her spirit. You know how we can kind of follow God in secret? Like for Mary, that's not really going to be an option. Because as she says yes to God, things are going to begin to change and show in her body. Her very livelihood is at stake here. Mary is an unwed virgin. Joseph could easily divorce her. And in some places in this culture, he could inflict violence upon her, and people would be like, Good job. She clearly was messing around on you. Like, you did the right thing. Mary puts her very livelihood, her very physical well being, in the hands of God. And not even just in just this moment, like forever, Mary would be known as the one who gave birth to a child that was, that was conceived out of wedlock. Like this kind of stuff, this isn't a private culture where you can kind of move to a new town, start a new story, you know, new place, new you. It doesn't work like that. For Mary, this will follow her her whole life, a lifetime of ridicule. And for Joseph as well, as we'll see. Mary's yes is an expression of trust. She sees that the promise is greater than her. And it's no small thing to me to listen to Mary's words and to understand why the Son of God was born into this woman's family. I think God knew what he was doing when he picked Mary. You see, every family, whether they state it or not, you know, kind of unstated or stated, has a set of values, a code to live by. And as we see in this song, we're going to look at the family values that Jesus grew up with as he lived in his mother and his father's house. I also want you to pay attention this morning as we dig into just the rest of this song that Mary composes. Of the content of this song, think of your usual depiction of Christmas in our culture. Right? Like you have this gentle nativity scene. Like the baby, though he was born outside, is completely clean. You know, there's like precious moments, dolls hanging out. Jesus, inexplicably, though he was a first century Jew, has blue eyes and blonde hair. That would be a miracle. And I want you to pay attention to what Mary is saying because we usually envision this serene manger scene. I love the song Silent Night, but I'm not sure that's historically accurate. And look at what Mary is saying. Look at the content of her song and and what it means for her to praise the Lord. You know, I think we can tell a lot about a, a people by the songs that they sing. And for us, it's why we pay attention to the words that we sing, the words that we place on your lips. You know, I mentioned that I was a worship leader for 10 years. And for me, that was the most sacred trust is that I am putting words in your mouth at some level. Now, you still have an option to sing them or not. But at some level, when we gather as a congregation, are we we saying our words are true about what God is doing, what He's doing in the world? So I want us to pay attention closely to the content of this song. Mary begins, His mercy, God's mercy, is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. First she says, His mercy is for those who fear Him. For those of you who are Christians in here. If I were to ask you, if you were sitting down to coffee or to a meal, and I were to say, tell, "Tell me a verse from the Scriptures that for you describes what God is like," what would you tell me? It's it's actually kind of an interesting exercise. So, like for years, it's the, the classic, like John three sixteen. Like you 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 probably could do worse than that. I mean that's that's not so bad, right? For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Like that's that's pretty strong, right? Like, if that's your verse, stick with that one. But if I were just to say, like, what, what from the scriptures tells you what God is like and the kind of God that he is? For Mary, a verse that she would have heard repeated often throughout her brief life thus far was Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. We're going to read part of it. Exodus 34, verse 6. It says, The Lord passed before him, him as Moses in this scenario, and proclaimed, The Lord The Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and in faithfulness. Keeping steadfast love for the thousandth generation. This was a formula that was often repeated during their worship. To the point where Mary would have had this text memorized. And Mary recognizes the mercy of of God for those who receive it. And she recognizes that this moment is an expression of that mercy. That God is not judging the world. The second half of John 3.16. For for God did not send His Son into the world to condemn it, but to save it. Mary understands that Jesus coming into the world is an expression of God's mercy. An expression of God's favor towards the world. And Mary's life is a paradigm for us for receiving God's mercy. She's saying that humility... Humility, being lowly in the presence of God, is the only way to receive mercy. Knowing that we need mercy is a prerequisite for receiving mercy. And look at the next several lines. She says, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and he's lifted up the lowly. I don't see anything about the manger scene in here. He has filled the hungry with good things, and he sent the rich away empty. The arm of the Lord was typically a euphemism for God acting in battle and in warfare to defeat the enemies of his people. You know, When, when, when God liberated the slaves from Israel in Exodus, it says that he bore his arm, that he extended his arm to save. But look at what the arm of the Lord is accomplishing here scattering the proud in their self-centered thoughts, bringing down the powerful, lifting up the lowly, filling the hungry with good things, and sending the rich away empty. Ecclesia, Mary's song is an invitation to see the architecture of the kingdom of God. That unlike the empires of the world that are built upon the backs of the poor for the sake of the powerful, the kingdom of God that King Jesus came to usher in reverses the structures. It honors and it lifts up the poor. It's not just the spiritual idea that Jesus loves us and saves our souls so that we might go to heaven when we die. It's not less than that. But this is about a complete reorienting of our world the prophet isaiah imagines this reality like this everyone who thirsts come to the water and you that have no money come buy and eat come buy wine and milk without money and without price friends we have to begin to see through the content of mary's song. That the kingdom of God is not about some world that's far off in the future. It's about heaven coming to earth right now. Heaven expressing heaven's mercy and favor towards us right now. And he's inviting us to live in response to that. In light of God's justice. And Mary finishes her song. She says, he has helped his servant Israel. In remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise that he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. Now, in all of this, it is so vital for us, and we get this wrong so easily, to keep in mind who is doing the action in this song? Who is the subject of the verb in Mary's song? It's God. God is the actor. God is the initiator. You see, the people that Mary lives in and among had long been waiting. They had held these promises as Mary references to Abraham. They'd held them dear and close that one day God would send a king to rid them of their enemies, to usher in an era of everlasting shalom. And some even began to expect that this king might bring in a golden age, this Messiah, this one who was to come, the son of David, a return to Eden where all the peoples of the world would finally see that Israel's God was the true God. And that Israel, his people, would rule the world alongside God with grace and with benevolence, but they would be sort of the honored ones. But the way that this rule was, was going to come about in their minds was the way that it came about in the past. You know, they had had these great kings. This is why they hold on so dearly to the promises that were given to David. David was the greatest king, the greatest conquester in the history of Israel. And he defeated God's enemies, and he lived a life after God's own heart. And they longed for a day when another king would live in this way. And you have to understand, this happens in the first century. When the whole known world is under the control of the Roman Empire. Like for the people of Israel, for the people that Mary is a part of. They're looking at these promises and they're saying, God, now would be a great time to show up with your king and defeat the pagans. And they hold these promises dear. And they remember the days when David marched out against their enemies. And the Roman Empire behaves with such arrogance and brutality. Surely God is going to bring a reckoning. Surely he's going to keep his promises. And surely the time is coming near. And what we see, and really the scandal of Advent, is that God is doing exactly that. He is bringing a new day. He is doing something new, and far beyond what they would have imagined, but in line with the promises that he had given But he's doing it in a completely unforeseen way. You see, Advent reveals to us, and this is the message that we so desperately need to hear, that the things that we are waiting on, though they're tinged with the promises of God, are often slightly distorted, slightly off track. Advent, what what God reveals to us in the coming of Jesus is that Advent is ultimately not about our waiting, It was about God's waiting, His long and patient faithfulness towards us, slowly and graciously unfolding the narrative of redemption. You know, as we sang in that song, Seasons, you could have saved us in a moment, but instead you sent a child. God embodies everything that He promises to bring us in the form of this child that He's sending to Mary. And God doesn't rush. He doesn't take the way of power or pragmatism. Rather, Jesus is planted in the womb of a peasant girl in a far-flung place. Because Jesus is not coming to bring just another empire. Another, long, another uh, world order in the long line of those of the most powerful who are exerting their might and their influence. He's coming to bring a new humanity. Eve in the garden in Genesis 3 said, let it be according to, to, to me, according to your word to the serpent. And Mary in this moment says to God, let it be according to the to, to word you have spoken to me. Mary is a, is a model and a paradigm of obedience and praise. And she shows us through her song, both her response and the response that is available for us today. And also the content of this beautiful kingdom that our Messiah, King Jesus, comes to bring. God wants to enact his mercy and his justice in the world. But he will not do it in spite of us. He comes to a peasant girl. He comes to the lowly, to those who will say yes to God. And he empowers us through his spirit, through his grace to say and respond in the way that Mary does. And what we find, friends, and what we see in the content of Mary's song is that the world that God envisions, the world that he came to bring through his son, Jesus, is far better than the world that we would long for for ourselves. And Mary's song of trust, of obedience, and ultimately of praise is showing us The way forward. God has come to us. He is promising that he will meet us in our circumstances. That he will meet us in our lives. And he has a plan and a purpose for us. Advent is an invitation to obedience and to praise. Really, that our native tongue. The the native tongue of the kingdom of God is saying yes to him. And responding by lifting up, saying, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in who God is. And as we speak those words, we have the language to live in this new humanity of Jesus, where God's mercy is our melody, God's justice is our instrument. Jesus steps into the world that he has made to show us that his promise is secure and unfailing. He embodies these promises for us it starts in the soil of Bethlehem as he's planted as a young child he lives his life he goes through the things that we go through and it ends on a cross at Calvary as God's long patience as God's willingness to die not uh, not to kill his enemies but to die on their behalf is expressed in all of its fullness Advent is an invitation to know the beauty of this God and to see the kind of world that he is making. And as we see in Mary's song, Advent is an invitation to be a part of that new world. Where he works through us and in us and amongst us. Let us pray. I see. King Jesus God, we see that this Advent story is so much better than the one that we write for ourselves. And so, Lord, you don't, as we kind of started this service, we take to you our longings. God, we bring them before you. Not, not as a list of demands, God. Not as a way of saying, you have to do these things, Lord. But as an expression of where we are. And so, Lord, as we come before you in, in, in whatever state that we are in, Lord, what we see in the life of Mary is that you are not looking for ideal circumstances. You are looking for people who will say yes to you in trust and will respond with our very lives in praise. And that as we respond to your promise, God, you are forming us into a people. God, a people who live out the justice and the mercy of the architecture of your kingdom. So Jesus, would you help us this morning in whatever way we can to say simply yes to you? God, we love you. We ask all these things humbly. We ask them in your name, by your grace. In the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information, please visit www.ekklesianj.com.